Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Washington Irving once said, There is a sacredness in tears. They are not the mark of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are the messengers of overwhelming grief, grief of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1011th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news of the gospel to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board and everything else. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's on the table for today? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you find your way through grief? Our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Okay, so again, the question is, how do you find your way through grief? And look, loss brings grief. Everyone hurts when they suffer loss, and many losses are met with grief. The recent Florida school shooting brings the trauma of grief out in the open for all to see. And yet, before and after that singular tragedy, there have been, and will continue to be, countless experiences of deep grief that are not so public. For many of us, grief acts like a disease. Its symptoms can be deep and debilitating, and its cycle is repetitive and exhausting. Grief stinks. And yet, grief is an important and even healthy part of our coping with our traumatic personal losses. So how do we go about finding in the healing part of grief? How do we know what to hang on to, what to let go of, and when any of this should happen? And finally, what can those of us who are not presently experiencing the grief of a personal loss do to help those that are in such pain and anguish? So, so Jonathan, today it's a really deep and difficult subject. It is, and it's a subject that we don't normally uh, would think of talking on. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we don't do a lot of talking about grief. And, and folks, as we approach this subject, it's always our objective with each subject that we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the, the original context of the scriptures that we cite. We try to find their true meaning and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. 
chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on the air. So as we go through grief, Jonathan, we're actually going to tell a couple of stories. Um, one story we're going to tell live. We have uh, a guest with us. I just wanted to get a little hello. Uh, Becca Martin is with us. We'll hear more from her next segment. Hello, Becca. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Are you nervous? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. So you can be quiet for a while. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to start with Becca's story in the next segment. And it's, it's a very unique story uh, and yet a very common story of grief. And in this segment, Jonathan, though, we're going to also begin um, with an article from helpguide.org that's called Coping with Grief and Loss. And it's a wonderful article. We're going to quote several little, little pieces of it throughout the, the podcast today. So Jonathan, let's go through the first few lines that we're quoting from that article, Coping with Grief and Loss. What is grief? Grief is a natural response to loss. The emotional suffering you feel when something or someone you love is taken away. The more significant the loss, the more intense your grief will be. Now, and you know, because the experience of grief is deeply personal and emotionally draining, uh, we want to be sensitive and we want to be helpful. So, so to begin with that sensitivity and that sense of wanting to be helpful to those who are going through such things, let's present a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's go to Jesus in Luke chapter 4. He's in the synagogue, verses 17 through 21. He's in the synagogue in Nazareth, and he walks in, and he does what he normally does. He participates. Verses 17 through 19 of Luke's, uh, Luke chapter 4. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has set me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And it's interesting in this verse, to set free means to release from bondage and oppressed means to be crushed. And when I think of grief, I think of the bondage of being crushed by a loss. And so to me, this is, a, this is a real, true light at the end of the tunnel because Jesus is essentially saying, I came for you and I understand your issue and I came because you have such an issue. And let's just finish those verses. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And again, that's a powerful, powerful promise. This scripture has begun to be fulfilled within your own hearing. So it's encouraging, while it's encouraging to know that Jesus did come to relieve our suffering, we also know that this relief is not going to come miraculously. It's not going to be some bolt of lightning from the sky because you believe in Jesus that says, oh, you're grieving, no problem, zap, you're better. Jesus helps us through it, and the stories that we tell today, Jonathan, and folks, you've got to stay with us for these stories, Becca's story, and then we've got another story coming up that we'll be doing uh, via some readings, are powerful stories of learning how to manage really hard, 
hard experiences. And, and, and Jonathan, these hard experiences are very common. I uh, just want to touch base with a, a, a comment that we got uh, on Facebook at the beginning of February. Uh, and now, and, and, and Becca, you know, from, from a technical standpoint, you're, you're involved in putting out, you work with us at Christian Questions, correct? That's correct. And you're involved in, in putting out the, the, the sort of the, uh, the, the advertisements, if you will, of what's coming up. That's right. All right. And so this individual, Patrick, on Facebook saw one of those uh, and he responded and he said, today's my birthday. So I'm thinking about age today. I had a dear friend pass away a couple of days ago at age of 40 from a brain aneurysm. I'm wondering why kind, generous, caring people die from natural causes at a young age, yet some mean and nasty people live a very long time and many times become wealthy in life. Doesn't make sense. And Patrick, you're right. It doesn't make sense. The world of sin and death that we live in doesn't make sense. And when you are grieving the loss of someone who died at a young age, it is not sensible. I mean, has his whole life in front of him a good person. You say, why? And it hurts so deeply. So we want to try to, to work through those kinds of things. Um, so Jonathan, grief comes in many, uh, from many different kinds of losses. One of the two kinds of losses that we're going to be talking about today through experiences is going to be introduced now. This is a written story that we actually got permission from the individual who went through it to use. And it's not read by her, but it's read by one of our, our CQ um, volunteers. And it's the article is t- entitled Rejoicing Through Unbearable Sorrow. So I'm going to let it introduce itself. In 2005, we welcomed our first baby, Chase, and our second baby boy, Cooper. My husband runs a large cattle and grain operation, and I work full-time for the Ministry of Agriculture. My boys were always involved in extracurricular activities such as baseball, swimming, and hockey, but their passion was being on the farm exploring and experiencing all the wonderful things farm life offered. Our lives were full, and we were blessed beyond measure. In the spring of 2011, our lives took an unexpected and drastic blow. Our oldest son, Chase, was killed in a farm accident. He was six years old. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? A six-year-old boy loses his life in an accident. And when you talk about, you know, we just read the example from Patrick about his friend who was 40 who had his life in front of him. You think of a child losing their life for, for you know, no, no sensible reason. It was an accident. How does a parent cope? And it's been said that one of the worst losses anyone can ever experience is the loss of their child. And so we're, we're going to go through this story um, throughout the podcast today and follow the mom's experience and follow the things that she learned and had to deal with, uh, obviously um, in, in very short, short little uh, spurts because it's such a deep and long experience. But we wanted to, to make sure that we're, we're, we're identifying with the grief experience. So grief is not an event. It's a process that needs understanding and attention for it to be positive. So Jonathan, there are five stages of grief. And we get these five stages from that article, Coping with Grief and Loss, from helpguide.org. So, so Jonathan, run through those stages with us, and I may interrupt you, you know, nothing new here. 
Well, Rick, the first one is denial. And this can't be happening to me, Can is you the response. Right. Can you even imagine being that mom? This can't be happening to me. Or, or being the, the gentleman who, who just uh, you know, wrote to us about his friend. This can't be happening to me. I mean, so denial is a very common place to start. What's next? This must be a dream, right? Yeah, yeah. That's another it's, phrase. It's a nightmare. What's next? Anger. Why is this happening? Who is to blame? And anger can create all kinds of uh, reactions and responses that we have to be really careful with. What's next? Bargaining. Make this not happen. And in return, I will do this, that, or the other thing. Right. Right. So you want to, you want to turn the, you want to turn history back. You want to trade something off be- right. because it hurts so badly. What's next? Depression. I'm too sad to do anything. And, uh, and look, I think we've all had some kind of experiences with depression in our lives. Some f- certainly much, much more than others. And, and depression is where life just seems to stop or go down to just a crawl because you just feel completely overwhelmed. And then what's the final stage? Acceptance. I'm at peace with what happened. So how do you go from denial to acceptance? And again, Becca's story is going to help us with that in a a very live, real sort of way, as this other story with the loss of this uh, six-year-old child. So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Those are the five stages. We're going to be touching on those five stages throughout the podcast uh, and, as we attempt to put grief in order. Let's go back, Jonathan, to the story of the loss of this six-year-old. Uh, just to, And again, this is putting it in perspective, giving us a place to start with the mom's reactions. I do not know if I can articulate in words how extremely painful this experience was to us. I can remember the numbing that lasted months, the feeling of anger, regret, and sadness that seemed to cripple us for years and which affects us in our lives even to this day. I did not understand how the world could continue on when something this devastating happens. Children are not supposed to die before their parents. Things like this don't happen to people like us. I was living in a nightmare. I hurt. I ached. I cried. I was numb. Our world collapsed. Time stood still and did for a long time. How could we continue in this world without our beautiful child? Grief overtook our lives, and I did not function properly for a long time. There's several things about this story, Jonathan, that are striking, but one of them is the brutal honesty with which she expresses herself. Grief took over. We lived in grief for a long time, didn't know how we could go on. And that's how difficult it is. And Jonathan, I want to mention, I won't mention a name just to, to not embarrass the individual, but one of our, uh, our Christian questions um, workers uh, lost his father uh, a year ago today. And, uh, it, you know, I lost my dad three years ago. And it doesn't matter when you lose a parent, whether they're old or young, losing a parent is pretty devastating. And so it's just an interesting thing that God overruled our ability and privilege to talk about this subject on the one-year anniversary of his personal loss. And so let's go just another little bit of that, that bright light at the end of the tunnel, Isaiah 42, verse 3. 
A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So again, you've got that scripture quoted in, it's, that's Isaiah 42.3. It's also quoted in the New Testament. But there's something powerful about that. When things are, are difficult, God through Jesus looks at us with compassion and wants to help us to heal, not to break. And that's what we want to look for. That's what we want to look to. But the question is, how do you do that when you're managing through grief? So, Jonathan, here's what's going to be happening here. There's going to be a lot of moving parts, and they are all traumatic. But there is hope. That's good. We need some because grief sounds complicated. Where do we even begin to try and understand it so we can cope with it? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Grief is complex, and thankfully so, because we as human beings are so incredibly The grief process provides us a way to put that emotion in order when we are torn by loss. I want to repeat that. The grief process provides us a way to put that emotion in order when we're torn up by a loss. Without grief's process, there would be no healing, growth, or change. There would just be painful memories that just never go away. Grief is important and it's valuable and it's helpful. To help us get closer to understanding the grieving process, we asked one of our own Christian Questions team members to sit in with us and share her personal story. Uh, Becca, we mentioned you last uh, last segment. Welcome, Becca Martin. Becca, who are you? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Part of what I do is I'm part of this Christian Questions team, so I manage our social media uh, and all of our YouTube videos with you, Rick. Yeah, that's right. She, you're actually you're one of my coaches on those things. That's right. <laughs> Um, professionally, I'm a teacher. I've been doing that for the last 15 years. Uh, I work with kids of all ages, mostly in urban environments, uh, with focus on teaching theater. Um, I was teaching high school theater full-time uh, until about last year. I quit that job, and now I'm freelancing as a teaching artist, so that gives me more time and flexibility, which is great. Okay, so, you know, just how, how you came to be involved in this particular podcast is an interesting little story that I want to tell because, you know, part of what we do with Christian Questions is we have a, a team of people that we schedule programs out five or six weeks ahead, and we send out this list to, to, uh, of what's coming up to many of our, our volunteers. And Becca's on that list, and, and Becca, you got the list, and, you know, you saw the grief program, and you, and you emailed me and said, Rick, this is, I'm really glad you're doing this. I can really use it, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and she shared with me her story. And once she shared her story, I started thinking, and then I, and I emailed back, and I said, hey, look, I know you can use it, but we can use you and your story to help us with others, to get the point across if you think you can do it. And uh, yeah, so I, I kind of cornered you, didn't I, Becca? Yeah, a 
a little bit. <laughs> it's hard to say no to you. So <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> All right. So so we'll develop that a little bit further as we go. But that's how how, how Becca got involved here with this uh, this this uh, being a part of this podcast. So Jonathan, let's go back to that article, the grieving process, coping with grief and loss from HelpGuide.org. Before we get into Becca's story, grieving is a highly individual experience. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. How you grieve depends on many factors, including your personality and coping style, your life experience, your faith, and how significant the loss was to you. All right. So, and we're going to actually requote that phrase at the end of the podcast because it's important. We don't grieve exactly the same way as each other. And this is really important to understand so we can cope with it ourselves and so we can help others cope with it uh, by realizing that you're not me and I'm not you, so the process may be, in fact, a little bit different. But Becca, you know, you got you got my attention in this email back and forth by the way you described your circumstances and your current battle with grief. You used a phrase, and we'll get to it, very, very specific. So tell us, first of all, tell, tell us what happened that put you into the situation where grief began to overrun your life. Uh, so uh, my husband, David, and I, we've been married for about seven years, um, and we decided about three years ago that we wanted to have kids. So um, I spent a lot of time over those three years praying uh, that we might be able to have children, but always trying to keep the scripture and Psalms in mind that talks about the Lord giving us the desires of our hearts. Um, ultimately, I want his will to be done in my life. Um, and if my will isn't his will, I want him to change my will so that I'm not praying amiss. Okay. All right. So let, let, let's pause there for a minute because you, you said a lot. First of all, you said you, you guys really wanted to have kids and you were praying uh, using scripture, which is a very appropriate way to pray about the Lord giving you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And this is obviously right. a pretty big desire. Right, right. Yeah, I'm a, I mean, I'm a teacher, so I naturally like being around kids. So that was a big part of it. Okay, so, and, but then you said, but I don't want to be praying for the wrong thing. And again, right. that's, a, that's a spiritually mature and difficult thing to get to. So, all right, with, with that uh, experience, what, what, what transpires next? So um, a little over a month ago, we found out that uh, although it's not impossible, it would be very unlikely that we'd be able to have children. And that was, that was really devastating to me. Um, I've wanted to be a mom for a long time. Uh, my own mom was, was really awesome. And she died when I was 17. So it's always kind of felt to me like a Raising a child would be a way to sort of remember her and honor her memory and sort of pass that legacy on to someone else. Um, so uh, much like when my mom died, uh, a few years later, my dad died. Um, and this whole experience feels like a death. Okay. But all right. All right. Just, just, just pause. I, don't, I, want, I want to interrupt yeah. you there. Okay. First of all, so I, I just want to take a time to, to digest a couple of things here. You know, you're 17 and your mom dies. Mm-hmm. All right. So first of all, at 17, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough thing for at any age. But at 17, I mean, my dad died when I was 56. That was a tough thing for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but at 17, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. And, and so motherhood was important to you because of the gift of motherhood 
that you received from your mom. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then you just mentioned that a few years later, your dad died. Right. Yeah. It was probably about five or six years later, seven years later. I can't even remember anymore. But my dad died uh, as well. Okay. And and then you said something that, you know, your experience of not being able to have children uh, is, 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 is kind of like a death, but in a different way. Right. It's, it's weird because it's, it's hard to explain because it's a death of, of someone that's never even existed. It's like a death of a dream or just the idea of a person. Um, but no one knows that person and no one knows that this person died unless I go out of my way to tell them. So it's, it's, it's kind of a secret grief that uh, can be very lonely and isolating. Uh, usually when someone dies, everybody knows. And this, this is different. But it feels the same in, inside. It still feels like a death. Okay. So, so I, I, I just, just want to stop you there. You know, so you call it a secret grief. And when you had emailed me back, that was the phrase that you used. Mm-hmm. You said you, this, this inability to have children was like the secret grief. And I was very struck by that because it is. You're, you're grieving over the potential that seemed to be the next logical, wonderful step in your life. Right. And that step couldn't happen. And you're and as you unfold your story, folks, as she unfolds the story, we'll we'll see more on um, how how important this 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 was to you. And so you're you're grieving something that hasn't happened. And and you know, and some people can say, well, look, that 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 can't be that can't be that bad. Well, think about it. For a guy, mother, we don't understand motherhood. We don't get it. We don't understand. There is something utterly magnificent about about the the idea of motherhood and and to have that taken i can only imagine having lost your mom it would have been just a just a hard hard thing and, and so and because nobody knows about it you're you're also subject to inadvertent uh difficulty aren't you Right, right i mean people uh, a lot of times say things with not without meaning to specifically hurt your feelings. And I think that happens all the time. But, you know, especially having been married for seven years, people start to ask you, so when are you planning to have kids? And, you know, it's one of those, it's hard to know how to answer that question without having a really awkward conversation. But it's also really a sore subject for me. So it's it's sad, you know, and and, and an unexpected way. So it's it's an inadvertent question for sure. But I think sometimes people don't realize what a question like that really can mean to someone else. Right. And 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 so they can't see the pain. Right. Be- because it's it's something that they would not even understand and they're and they're trying to right. be happy and hopeful and cheerful in life and here it's right. like you're being stabbed in the heart and, and Exactly. So so you know this is this is this is interesting. So so far what we've seen is uh, you know Becca is is looking at life and and looking for you know God giving the desires of the heart. There's a scripture that says that, but she doesn't want to pray for something that's not God's will. And you know sometimes the desires of our heart don't come to us because God has a different plan, and we're going to get to that. Um, you found yourself battling what you're calling a secret grief, something that's internal and it hurts and it's hard to talk about because it's not typical in the in the sense of 
the loss that we would normally look at. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's pause with the story here for a moment. And for you, Becca and and Jonathan, I want to play first verse of of a song from Casting Crowns, uh, "Just Be Held." And you know, sometimes, sometimes th- there's very little that we can actually hold on to, and so what we need to do is we need to realize that you sometimes just got to sit back and just stop, and literally. Just be held in the arms of Jesus. Hold it all together, everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom and surrender. Lay it down and let it go. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away You're not alone, stop holding on and just be here Your world's not falling apart, it's falling into place I'm on the throne, stop holding on and just be here Just be here Just be held. And it just gives you a sense of heart when you hear something like that. Sometimes that's all there is. That's sometimes that's all we can do. So we need to give ourselves permission to grieve. Jonathan, let's before we go back to Becca's story, let's let's just get a little bit of scriptural perspective on giving ourselves permission, time to grieve. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. So there is a time for everything under heaven, and that's what's. Uh, and those are relatively well-known verses in Ecclesiastes, and 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 you know, and there's a time for things to not go our way, and then a time to be able to manage through that. So, so Becca, your 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 grief is squarely facing the inability at this point to have children, but you know, you've also had grief in your past, and we're going to talk about that as well. But outside of the present circumstances, which incidentally is, is very new, right? I mean... Yeah, it's very... Yeah, I'm still like in the middle of the... I don't even know if I'm in the middle of the process, but I'm still very much in that grief, grieving sense of, of life right now. So we really caught you at, at, the, at, at a really hard time. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> Rick, <much>. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and I, I tell you, I give you a lot of credit for being willing to talk about your story at that point in time. It's powerful, powerful, powerful example of being willing to be vulnerable for the sake of others. And we're, well, again, we'll expand that later as well. But outside of and in conjunction with that d- deep desire for children, how else? Let's just kind of paint a little bit more of a picture of your recent life. How else have you seen the hand of God in your life uh, you know, specifically with you and your husband, and we'll go back to your earlier life a little bit later. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a couple of experiences that, you know, at the time felt really big and now in, in retrospect feel a little smaller. Uh, but right after my husband and I got married, uh, we really wanted to buy a house. We were living in a small condo and we want to have a, a bigger space where we felt like we could serve the Lord better, that we could host uh, gatherings or people over to our house and we prayed and prayed and uh, it was at a time in the market where there just was not a lot coming up so we ended up buying this huge house that was uh, foreclosure and we ended up uh, doing a complete renovation um, and it was it was beautiful it was everything I always wanted in a house there was lots of cool old woodwork there was just it was just tons of space so uh, we had the house renovated we moved in and after living there for about a year, we realized, oh my goodness, this house is so crazy big. We have rooms that we never go in. <laughs> so, you know, it it just started to feel excessive and we decided, you know, this isn't really our dream house after all. This is our what we thought was what we wanted. Um, so we ended up, after living there for about two years, we ended up selling it and moving to a much more right-sized house for us. And we're much happier here. Uh, we realized that um, we didn't need what we thought we needed in order to serve God. We had sort of put our own qualifications on what we thought we had to have. All right, that, that's a powerful lesson. And so it's a lesson where you had a dream, you really wanted to use it for the Lord's service, and you got something that was really, and you looked at it and said, wait, 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 wait. Nah, you know, now that the dream has turned real, it's like, mm, it doesn't fit. Right. It's too big. Right. So, so it's a life lesson that it comes in really handy later on. Right. Okay. What What else about that same time of life was going on? So around the same time, I got my dream job. Uh, so I, I work in theater and there just is not a lot of theater jobs and especially not teaching jobs. So when I had the opportunity to teach full-time high school theater at a school for the arts in the city, it was, it was amazing. Um, so I taught there for four years. And over the period of time that I was there, I really started to notice a change in myself. And I didn't really like the person I was becoming. And although there were aspects of the job I loved, I I love the arts and I love working with kids, the job became all-encompassing of my life, my brain, and my time. And, you know, during that time, I prayed for opportunities to serve God, but I really had no time for God. And so I just felt constantly guilty and feeling like I was just a Sunday Christian. Okay, so so being a Sunday Christian, and we're, we're a little shy on time. What do you mean by I felt like I was just a Sunday Christian? So Sunday Christian meaning like I thought about God when I was there, and then when I was no longer at church, I had other things to be consuming my time. So it just, I wasn't serving God in that throughout my life, throughout my week. So what happened? So uh, by the end of last year, I was really stressed out. I would get sick to my stomach on Sunday nights prepping for the week ahead. So I really started to consider whether or not I wanted to stay there. My boss was really difficult. And so my husband eventually just said, you know, maybe you should just quit. So I did. I quit at the end of last year. And it was really, really hard because I really loved my students. But um, because of that, I ended up having the summer to sort of figure out what it is I wanted to do next. And it turns out that I happened to have this long period of time where I was able to fit in opportunities for Christian questions, which is 
fulfilling that other desire of my heart that I had prayed for for so long was that I could finally serve God in a way that I felt like I was meant to do. Okay, so so you had a shattered dream. What was a, quote, dream job became kind of a nightmare. And then you had this spiritual dream that seems to have come into fulfillment, and I'm feeling really, really happy because, Jonathan, you know that Becca's presence on the Christian Questions team is, has been really, really amazing. It's huge. <laughs> We're so thankful. <laughs> so, you know, we are the beneficiaries of, of your dream job going sour, so I'm not really <laughs> sad about that, I'll tell you. But, but, you know, what you're saying, you know, through these experiences, you, you had the experience with the house, the experience with the job, and, you know, you've learned lessons from them. And, and, and folks, that's the key is life is there to teach us. We need to learn lessons. We need to understand. And all the while, you know, you're trying to have kids and that's not happening. We're going to come back to that in the next segment. But just quickly, Jonathan, a quick quote from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. There is no grief like the grief that does not speak. And Becca, I, I thought I read that quote and I thought of your exact experience. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, just, and all you can do is just to be held. Quick question, John, uh, uh, scripture, Jonathan, as we wrap up this segment, Matthew 10, 29 and 30, another ray of hope. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. All right. So, so folks, Becca's experience reminds us that the circumstances surrounding grief are, just like you said earlier, Jonathan, they always are complicated. That is common and difficult. So now what? Life can bring many series of events that can pile up. How do we sort it all out? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. One of the toughest challenges with grief is its uniqueness in each individual life. Because we're, so, we're each a unique combination of genetics, mindset, and life experiences, we need to have broad strokes applied to manage grief. That management only comes through plowing through the experience. And I want to stress plowing through the experience. So, Jonathan, as we get back into our story, and with us we have Becca Martin. She is a one of our CQ volunteers, uh, telling a story of personal grief that she has had to deal with very, very recently. She's still in the middle of it, uh, and uh, called it a secret grief by not because they are not able to have children, which is something that for her life she always, always deeply, deeply desired. It's not just, oh, I want to do this when I grow up. It was one of those... This is one of the life experiences that, and I, I don't mean to speak for you, Becca, but no, it, you're right. <laughs> that that will shape me, that I am looking forward to as just to be a fulfilling part of who I am, and it's not happening. So how do you deal with that, Jonathan? Uh, that that article, grief can be a roller coaster, and then we'll get back to Becca's experience coping with grief and loss. An article from HelpGuide.org. Just a couple of more lines from there. Sure, Rick. Instead of a series of stages, we might also think of the grieving process as a roller coaster full of ups and downs, highs and lows. Like many roller coasters, the ride tends to be rougher in the beginning. The lows may be deeper and longer. The difficult periods should be less intense and shorter as time goes by. 
but it takes time to work through a loss. So roller coaster, how's that? Is that accurate? Oh boy, is that accurate. <laughs> All right. So so let, let's get a little bit more of your background um, because folks, another thing about understanding and, and helping others cope with grief is really knowing who they are knowing their story because if you know their story you can put the dots together and see the grief rather than just say oh i feel bad for you and so we want to put becca in a situation of being just even more vulnerable <laughs> you thought we were tough on you here but let's let's go further you know you mentioned losing both parents as a very young woman one your your mom when you were 17 your dad in your 20s what did that mean for you growing up, responsibility-wise and experience-wise and so forth? So uh, because I was only 17, um, I was a senior in high school, and I have a brother and sister. My brother is about a year and a half younger than me, and uh, my sister, when my mom died, she was only nine. So it meant a lot more responsibility on me. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic, which just got a lot worse after my mom died. So it, it really meant that I had to be the one for her, for her uh, to, to look to, to sort of be that mother figure in her life. Um, and at the time I was not a Christian. So that was especially difficult for me because I didn't have any sort of foundation of faith. And so I just felt like I just needed to be strong for my sister. Okay. So, so let, let, let's pause there for a second because part of the difficulty of managing grief is when you're in a situation where you need to be strong for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And here you are at 17 years old, really with nobody else to lean on, right? Right, right. So, and, and you have no faith at this point. You've not been introduced to faith. So you're feeling pretty, what, isolated, alone, hopeless, what? To all of those things. It was, it was so frightening. Those stages of grief, I, I can just remember what that was like at the time that I, I spent a lot of time bargaining and saying, whatever's out there, if, if, if I could, if I could die instead, just quick, take me instead of my mom, you know, cause I was just so scared, especially for my sister of just that idea of growing up without my mom. And any, even now it's, it's weird to think that, I, you know, I was so much older that when my mom died, I felt like I really knew her, but my sister was so young. She, she doesn't really remember her that yeah, well. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, so what happened? So, uh, it was, it was really tough for a lot of years there. Uh, I had to sort of rearrange my life so that I could take care of my family. You know, I went to college, but I had to stay home. Um, I had a couple of jobs and my brother had a job uh, so that we could help to uh, keep the family going. That meant, you know, little things like cooking and cleaning were our responsibility. And then, you know, when my, my dad was not able to work for a long time, so we took on financial responsibility. And then um, about seven years after my mom died, my dad also died uh, from his alcoholism. So my sister at that time was in high school. So we had to go through the process of me becoming her legal guardian as well. Um, okay. All so right. that I could take care of her. So this, this is just, this is, goes from a difficult story to an incredibly difficult story to an almost impossible story. But in the middle of that, you had a friend. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this friend. 
So this friend was someone that I had been friends with since I was in middle school, and she would talk to me about God. And I honestly don't remember anything she said other than I knew she was a Christian and she talked about it a lot. Uh, But it really wasn't until after my mom died that all of a sudden it was like I could remember and hear the things that she was saying because I was finally in a place where I needed to hear her, where I, I really felt God drawing me to him and and wanting to comfort me. And I was at a place where I, I was searching for that comfort. Uh, so after a couple, uh, maybe a year or so after my mom died, I really made that part of my life, my faith was was part of who I was becoming. So by the time that my dad died, that w- that was something that really helped to carry me through that experience in a much different way than than you know when my mom died. So you through all of these stages and and experiences of grief and you've had three, the loss of your mom, the loss of your dad and the loss of the ability to to have children, there was hope planted at some point. Right. And that hope was planted and as the experiences went on your hope was then tested. And so you have this growing within you that is now beginning to help you cope with what seems like a never-ending onslaught of difficulties. Right. Okay. Right. All right. So now let, let, let's change a little bit because there's a lot of aspects to the story, and I grossly miscalculated how we're going to be able to do this, but we're going to do this. <laughs> now, that's okay. This is awesome, awesome stuff. So tell us, tell, tell us about, about your mom. You know, you mentioned a few things about, you know, your mom was, you know, just a wonderful mom. Tell us, tell us about her a little bit. Oh, boy. Uh, my mom was awesome. And everyone says that about their mom. And it's probably true. But I really felt like it was true about her. She was funny and creative and artistic. And she was really focused on raising myself and my siblings to be really good people. She wasn't religious in any way, but she wanted to do what was best for us. And she did everything for us, even when we had nothing. We were really poor growing up. So we spent a lot of time doing really inexpensive things connecting with each other, playing games, talking, going on walks, listening to music. She was she was really, really cool, and I wish I could know her as an adult. So she filled your life, which you said you were poor. You had, things were difficult, but she filled it with happiness and activity and fun and all of that. Um, so when you look back on your childhood, you know, you've got this, this, this mom, you know, you know and, and I'm sure— that your mom's experiences and contributions to you as a mom seeded that deep, deep desire to be a mom. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There were so many things that I would always think back like, oh, I can't wait to be able to do that with my own there kids because it was so much fun. It was, it, it just, it made my childhood something that I still can look back on and be like, yeah, that was really good. So you say you, you look back on your childhood and yeah, and that was really good. But tell us a little bit about the other side, and 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 and, and Becca, I, you know, I feel, I feel terrible because here I am. I'm just like, I'm just like, here, let's open this wound again, and just let's rip this thing wide open so we can take a look at it. And but but the reason I'm asking is because so many of us go through grief, in 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 the loss of parents, the loss of children, the loss of opportunity, the loss of potential, and and we just don't know what to do. And your story, while it's full of grief, is full of hope. 
And it's yeah. astounding to me to see the two working together. And so I apologize as I'm asking you to reopen your childhood. And you said, okay, I look back on it and it was good, but it wasn't all really good, really, no. was it? No, it was, uh, I, you know, I, I look back and it, it was, it was, I feel very heavy inside when I think about it. My parents had a really unhappy marriage. My mom had a really strong personality. And I think, you know, after my dad was drinking for so long and just not changing, she just stopped talking to him altogether. And so I ended up being the communicator between the two of them. And so things were always really intense and tense. Um, my dad was really bad with money. So we were in a lot of debt. Uh, he was working three jobs for a while. Uh, there were times where we just didn't really see him or or we were we were just we didn't have a lot of money. And so as a result, that really played into how I remember our my childhood. I, I remember uh, he used to sell our things at the pawn shop because we didn't have enough food uh, to get through to the end of the week. And um, so he would go back and try and buy as many things as he could afford by the end of the week. But it just, you know, it, it was embarrassing. Uh, we didn't have a phone sometimes. There was a couple years we didn't have a car. And I just realized how different my life was compared to the life of a lot of my friends. Okay. So, I mean, and, and those are, those are, <laughs> I can't even get my head around the, those types of experiences. And, and, and yet your previous statement was an awesome childhood. Yeah, And so you're able to see such goodness through such difficulty. And, and folks, how many of us would look at those hard experiences and make them our childhood? This is, a, this, is, this is a great lesson in perspective and being able to find something, you know, find the, the silver edges around that, that dark, dark cloud. And the reason you look for the silver edges is that because with those, there is some sunshine somewhere. And I think that that's part of affying all of this. So, so, so you're seeing you're seeing good in the midst of of very difficult things, right? Okay, absolutely. All right. So, um, your parents loved you then. Yeah, they they did. I they I think my dad didn't always know how to show it, but mm -hmm. they 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 loved us then, and, and they really tried hard to make sure that. They were doing everything that they could to make us happy, even when, even when I think sometimes they didn't know the best way to do that. Okay, all right, uh, Jonathan. Let's let's go to a scripture. We're gonna we're gonna skip we're gonna skip the music here because I want to spend more time with the story. But just in between, uh, before trying to sum up some of this battle with grief, uh, we're talking with Becca, one of our Christian Questions volunteers, who's been through all kinds of things to bring grief into her life. Psalm twenty-one verses one through four again a scripture of hope a scripture of the silver lining a scripture of light a scripture of looking forward i will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help my help cometh from the lord which made heaven and earth he will not suffer thy foot to be moved he that keepeth thee will not slumber behold he that keepeth israel shall neither slumber nor sleep Lift up mine eyes to where my help can come from. And Becca, when you were in your late teens, early 20s, you began to see that there was a place to look to, to find the strength to be able to actually cope. Right. And so even though, even though you're still battling with grief, how, how can you, and, and, you're, you, and you said earlier, you're, you're, you're not even sure if you're in the middle of the situation yet. You, you may be still at the, at the beginning process because you're just yeah. literally months into 
the sort of the final realization that, you know, children, and, and I apologize for keeping reminding you of this, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, children are not in your future. Right. So right. How, how, how do you sum up your experience so far with, with all of the, the childhood things and the death of your parents and, and all of that? Where, where, where are you with that? So I, I look at everything and I try to remind myself that God has been with me and continues to be with me when I look back on all these life experiences, because I, I can see through, you know, just discussing all these different events, you know, with my parents' deaths and other situations that have happened, he has been with me in all of those things. And, you know, this is, this experience, not being able to have kids is still very sad and new, but I know that it's going to shape me and I know that God has a path marked out for me in my life. Okay, just just pause there for a second, okay? Because your conviction of your faith is very, very clear in what you just said. You say you know that he has a path marked out for you in your life. That says a lot because it's not that, it's not what you're saying, and just correct me if I'm wrong, it's not that you're just saying, well, I know God's taking care of me. Right. You're saying that he has a path marked out for you. Yes. So yes. it's bigger than just he's got me. It's he's got me and he's got a place for me to go. Right. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Continue. I, I, I uh, yeah, God has a plan for me and I, I know that. And even though I, I really wanted children so badly, at the same time, Throughout this experience, I can see that God gave me the other desire of my heart, and that was to serve him, which, you know, if I had kids, I don't know that I could serve in the capacity that I'm currently serving in, particularly for Christian questions. Uh, I know there's a purpose to my life, and I know that he has blessed me beyond measure and beyond what I ever thought was possible for my life. And so I know that I need to pray and trust that he's going to see me through this too. So to be able in the midst of grief to say but there's more to it there's a pathway laid out for me and i've been blessed beyond measure and even though on that path are not some of the deepest desires of my heart what you're saying is i'm good with that right okay so right. What, what what would you say to someone who's experienced a similar kind of secret grief that you're going through what 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 do you, what do you have for them i would say let yourself cry and be sad and grieve because that is human and it's okay that everything is not okay right now and that's something that for me especially that's always been hard i've spent my entire life trying to make everything okay for others and myself and sometimes it's just not okay all right so first lesson it's okay that things aren't okay because that's the way life is and you're you're saying the first thing is it's okay to cry and it's okay that things stink Right. That's one of the things I would always tell my students when they were going through some really difficult experience that, you know, it might not be okay right now, but someday things will be okay again. You just have to trust that that day will come. And again, that's an evidence of faith, trusting that that day will come. Go ahead. 
Um, I think uh, another important thing to think of is that it's it's important to give voice to your feelings, that it's really only as secret as you let it be. So I have gone out of my way to tell people that I can't have children, like coming on this podcast, yeah, for yeah, example. They, look, you, you've just told <laughs> the world, sister. public way. I know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I tell them because it does affect me and it makes me sad and I want other people's support. And, you know, I know that's not true for everyone, but, you know, it's important to find an outlet even with a few trusted friends or family members or someone to talk to because we can sometimes get stuck in our own heads and that really isn't helpful. Okay. So you've, you have made this something that you, you realize you need support and now you're looking for it. Right. And, and, and folks, let me add that as I talked to Becca before coming on and doing this, my quote sales pitch to her was not for her to get support. I didn't say anything to her about that. What I said to her was think of the value you can bring to other people's lives who are hurting just like you. And if they hear your story, they can be emboldened to be able to share their own and therefore get their support. So right. you, you get support by giving. La, la, last point on, on what you would say. Go ahead. Uh, last, focus on the blessings in your life. You know, there's that song, Counter Blessings. And, you know, it's easy for us to go down a really negative road. And at first, we might not want to look at the bright side. But, you know, sulking for the remainder of our lives isn't really helpful or healthy or healing. So, Right now, I'm trying to change my own mindset of how I'm looking at the rest of my life, which is scary and challenging, but by focusing on the blessings and the things that I know that God has given me can be a really positive way to, to work through this experience. Okay, so this is really a lesson of, of focus. All right, so so Jonathan, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up this segment now. We're running running behind. I'm not worried about that. And then we're going to pick up on some of the things we would have ended this segment with at the beginning of the next segment. So really, having Becca's experience in front of us is an incredibly value, is very invaluable, incredibly valuable as we move forward. It does make things very real. So what about those five stages of grief? What should we expect and how do we deal with them? Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. You know, one of the toughest challenges with grief is its uniqueness in each individual life. Because we're each a unique combination of genetics, mindset, and life experiences, we need to have broad strokes applied to managing grief. That management only comes through plowing through the experience. So this is really an important aspect of, of this whole thing, measuring the, uh, the the ability to cope with grief. And Jonathan, let's uh, just very briefly go back to uh, that article, Coping with Grief and Loss from help, or HelpGuide.org. Just a few lines on this. Denial helps us to pace our feelings of grief. There is grace in denial. It is, a, it is nature's way of letting in only as much as we can handle. Okay. Oops, I did a quote, Rick. I did the quote instead of the denial first point. <laughs> That's okay. 
that, want to know that. that that's all right. Denial, <laughs> that this can't be happening to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it can't be happening to you because I messed up the whole schedule, didn't I? <laughs> <You> did. <laughs> all right. So, so denial. You know, from that article, denial is the first point of grief, and and the quote was the denial helps to pace our feelings of grief. You see, denial is important because, uh, Becca, in your experience, it's too much to handle all at once, isn't it? It really is. You, it's, your brain can't handle it, and neither can your heart. Right, right. And so, and so what do you do? You just deny it, and it gives you time. There's nothing wrong with needing time, and, and the process is there to give us that time. Let's go to a, a scripture, uh, and we'll have to go through this a little bit quickly. Psalm 43, verses 2 to 5. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of thine enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto the holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O my God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. So, you know, first, in this, in this psalm, you've got the problem, you've got the, the action from the problem, you know, why am, I, why am I in such dire straits, and then the action, send out thy light so I can see it, and then there's hope that's stirred, but it's not yet solidified, and that's kind of where we want to try to go uh, as, as we move forward with this whole experience of dealing with grief. You know, it's so hard to determine what's going to happen as the grief process progresses, um, but one thing we can know for sure is that this process brings us eventual peace, strength, and believe it or not, eventual happiness. All of that being said, we really need to focus on these stages. So that first stage was denial. It's a hard stage to work through, but a necessary stage to work through. You've got to, you've got to be able to deal with that. Now, uh, Becca, we want you to, to stay with us as we will we'll be touching back on your story and your, your, your experiences. But we want to get back into the story of the woman who lost her um, her six uh, six year old son in a farming accident. So we're going to go back to another soundbite from the article that she wrote about her experience rejoicing through unbearable sorrow. And this in this part of the article, it's the grief cycle and trust. I used to think that things like that do not happen to people like us, and we took a lot of things for granted. I felt strong and confident that I was in control of circumstances. Was I wrong? It is strange how, in a moment, your life can change and how you can fall to your knees. The grief cycle goes between anger, denial, regret, and sadness. Sometimes you go through that cycle multiple times in a day. This is when I really understood I was not in control of my circumstance, but God was. This experience has taught me humility that I may not have had otherwise. C.S. Lewis said that true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. These humbling, tearful, and uncertain circumstances deepened our trust in the Lord and helped us realize the power of God's grace. So, so Becca, you know, she's talking about that grief cycle and, and trust. Does that resonate with your experience? Yeah, it, it really does. Well, a part of what struck me about uh, 
one of the first things she said was just that idea of letting go. I am a control freak naturally in my life. <laughs> and so I feel like that is frequently uh, something that I struggle with in my relationship with God, because that sort of letting go and just trusting that God will take care of things is a really difficult thing for me to do. And so I, I feel like I get that trial over and over <laughs> because of that. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and that's important. That's important to understand. And again, it, it comes down to it comes down to realizing who you are, what you're made of, and therefore what God has to work with. And such an important thing. Jonathan, go ahead. Yeah, well, I wanted to remind our listeners that uh, we're so thankful that Becca Martin is here with us from Wisconsin as our special guest, and she is a CQ uh, team member with us. But I also wanted to give a shout out to your husband. For his support, yeah, being there to encourage you to share your story with others. So that's so important. Yeah, I agree. He's pretty great. Yeah. Well, uh, you tell him we all said that, even though we can't see him in this here picture, but uh, we know this he's is be- off to the side. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you, thank you, David, for for being there and with her and for her, uh, Jonathan. Let's go back to these five stages of grief. We talked about denial. How important it is. It's it's a place to start. What what are the next two stages? Well, Rick, anger is next. Why is this happening? Who is to blame? And what's next? The following is bargaining. Make this not happen. And in return, I will do whatever it takes so it doesn't really happen. So, and Becca, you had mentioned that you you certainly had gone through those, all of those things, all of these times. uh, And, you know, this last uh, most recent time that you're experiencing, you know, uh, included as well. All right, let, let, let's just, I want to get a little bit further down before we try to slow down again. So we got to speed up just a bit here. Spiritual principles, scriptural principles that to combat anger and bargaining, because these are the stages. And folks, what we're saying is you got to go through the stage. But what we're also saying is you can't camp out and live in this stage. And so how do you go through without camping out? So scriptural principles the first one is to recenter and rehearse your deepest core values. My God is my God. Therefore, Jonathan, a scripture on that, Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. So, Becca, when you look at a scripture like that, you know, God is my God. You'd mentioned the, the entrance of faith into your life as being a really important part of managing your grief. How, how is it different now than it was then? Because you're much older. I don't, well, not that much older. You know, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Well, I'm really putting my that. foot in my mouth this whole program. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm quite a bit older than that now. It's, it's, been, it's been almost 20 years since my mom died. Wow, okay. This, this October. Um, no, I mean, knowing that God is with you um, and 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 that he's providing the things that you need to be able to get through the experience, whether that's through the support of friends and family or or, you know, having that constant conversation through prayer with him and asking him and being able to go to him and saying, I need you. I need you to be with me. I need you. And even in small experiences, you know, the other day at work, I was suddenly overcome with grief about not being able to have kids. And I just, I went to the bathroom, I said a little prayer, came back and I was okay. But just having that 
strength to draw on just changes everything. God is my God. That's the folks. That's the phrase that we want to plant into your mind at this point. Let's go back to the story, rejoicing through unbearable sorrow, uh, and this piece of the story we're calling perspective and choice. Perspective is both innate and learned, based on our genetics, life experiences, and values. However, there is another element of perspective, which is choice. More than just looking on the bright side, perspective is how we choose to see things. I know that we cannot always control what happens to us, but we can control how we react to them. We choose how we act in the face of adversity. We either get bitter or we get better. I remember a counselor talking to us after the accident and sharing the statistics of marital breakup after the death of a child. The statistics were not in our favor, but at that moment, I decided that our marriage would not fall to that statistic. I knew that this experience could either break us apart or make us stronger. We made a choice to have it make us stronger. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And, and, you know, with, with, with that perspective and choice, and she quotes a scripture, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. what that's saying is because God is my God, he has ensured my experiences to be manageable and finite, not infinite, not without end, not, not the misery that just is on, a, on, on this cycle that comes back again and again. But it says in that scripture, he won't allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able to do. And, and that's such an important part of learning to manage grief. So, so Jonathan, let's go uh, back to that article just very quickly about um, coping with grief and loss, because it, it talks about acknowledging your pain. And so, uh, Becca, Jonathan's just going to go through these, these several bullet points of acknowledging your pain and just give us a, a sense of your own experience with them once he's done. Okay. Except that grief can trigger many different and unexpected emotions. Understand that your grieving process will be unique to you. Seek out face-to-face support from people who care about you. Support yourself emotionally by taking care of yourself physically. And lastly, recognize the difference between grief and depression. So, Becca, those points, the scripture about God not tempting you beyond your, what you're able to do, where are you with all of that? Uh, I, I, I love that scripture. That's one of my favorite scriptures that I've, I've gone back to in, in the different experiences that I have had, just keeping in mind that this seems really hard. I can't manage how to get through it. And, and a couple things that come to mind are um, thinking about what Jesus went through and, and just trying to keep that perspective of Jesus bore so much worse than this and, and trying to just keep that outer perspective of, I can do this. God has put me in this or allowed this situation to happen so that I can somehow be shaped in the way that he wants me to be. Um, uh, but the other thing that struck me in, in that first bullet point, except that grief can trigger many different and unexpected emotions. I think Sometimes there can be some really negative stuff that comes up, as you know, especially like I'm thinking of my my own experience, jealousy. You know, feeling okay. jealous that you know I'm in my 30s, so a lot of my friends have children or are about to have children, and I think it's very 
natural that that can be one of those things that can be tied to that experience of, well, why can't I have that? Everybody else has that. And, and trying to keep that perspective of, okay, but I'm living my own path. God has a different path for me and, and just accepting that and, and divorcing yourself from some of those things, but acknowledging at the same time that those things might just come up. Okay. All right. And, and that's, that's, that's powerful because they do come up and I can certainly see that sense because it's something you've, that has been a part of your, your instinct for your entire life. And, and the answer is no. And I said, well, why not? Why me? And why do they right. get, and, and that is right. a hard thing to deal with. But as you pass through the stages of grief, it's important to realize that this too shall pass. Right. And while the pain, while the missing may never go away, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it can't be compensated for in a spiritual way. And we're going to develop that very, very soon. Let's go back to the another soundbite. I know I'm putting a lot of things in order here. There's just so much to cover. Rejoicing through unbearable sorrow. Uh, the, the mom who lost her uh, six-year-old, you know, just talked to us about perspective and choice. And now she's going to say something a little bit, you know, about sort of seeing the bright side, the silver lining to the experience. After experiencing this devastating hurt, I have become highly aware that most people hide their sorrow. We force a smile, we leave out details, and we even convince others we are fine. I developed a soft spot for those who put on a brave front and who are able to keep others at an arm's length for far too long. A silver lining in sorrow's dark cloud is that God can use our experiences to reach out to others with compassion and comfort. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So there's a silver lining. There, there's a way to look at it and say the cloud is dark, but there's something bigger. Because God is my God to combat anger and bargaining. Because God is my God, I must allow his spirit to manage my anger and do my bargaining for me. I don't need to, he can. And Jonathan, just will go to Romans 8, 26 and 28. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So with a verse like that, we, what we say is if we know, and, and Becca, that's what you've been saying, I know that there's a path for me. Right. And that's bigger than God just cares for me. He's got a path for me. Because we know things work together for good, we can see something bigger and better coming down the road. So we need to, to wrap up this, this segment. Both of our real-life examples have shown us that managing grief is really a choice. And it's a choice that needs to be made again and again. Now, the last two stages, depression and acceptance, seem worlds apart. How do we make that leap? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. Actually, I would submit that it really isn't a huge leap between depression and acceptance. The huge leap was going from denial through anger and bargaining. 
once we get to feeling depressed, we've gotten somewhere. That sounds odd. But we have, to a degree, already accepted much of our trauma and are now faced with carrying its weight. Acceptance provides all of the necessary strength to carry whatever it is that we need to carry. So when we get to the point of depression, and this sounds like, like it, sounds, it sounds backwards, that's a good sign. Because now it's just, it's heavy and it's hard. And that's where the next step really comes in. And Jonathan, let's go back to the quote that we uh, did use in, segment, in the second segment from Coping with Grief and Loss about uh, the grieving process. Grieving is a highly individual experience. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. How you grieve depends on many factors, including your personality and coping style, your life experience, your faith, and how significant the loss was to you. So again, we grieve differently, but it doesn't mean there isn't a path through it for all of us. The steps may be uh, different. And, and Beck, I imagine that as you go through all of these, these steps of grief, I mean, sometimes they get repeated, don't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, some days you feel like you're like, oh, yeah, I feel really positive and I finally made some progress and this feels better. And then suddenly two days later, you find yourself crying and eating chocolate again. And, you know, it feels like, wait, I thought I was I was past this. And so, yeah, I think it really it can be cyclical. Even even when you feel like you've you've accepted it, I think there are still times where you can revisit some pieces of the process at times. Yeah. And and look, for first of all, I eat chocolate no matter what the circumstances. So <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, your point is well taken. It can be cyclical and it can go back through again and again and again. Uh, Jonathan, a great quote. Men take note of this quote, okay? Uh, from Henry Nowen. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not healing, not curing. That is a friend who cares. And I will tell you, Becca, that one of my observations in life is this is a huge difference between men and women mm -hmm. because men just want to fix it. They want to make it go away. They want to make it better. And to sit there and to listen and to not really know, and to not be able to help, and not be able to cure, is a killer. And I don't know if you've had that experience, but it's a, it's a learning thing. But it's true, though, isn't it? Just to, to yeah. be, to, what do you get from from that quote in terms of you know personal life and 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 you know the the ability to cope. Right. Well, it is true. Sometimes you just need someone to just be next to you. And I have to say, I'm, I must be pretty blessed because David's been really awesome with, with this is just, you know, he's sad about, you know, not being able to have kids too, but it's, it's a little different for me. Yes. And so he has been really supportive in just being there with me. And, and sometimes that's just all you need is someone to just sit there and let you cry or not, or just sit there. And, 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 you know, that, and you said something so powerful, you know, he's sad, but it's different for you. And the fact that he understands that it's different for you is an enormous 
positive in managing grief. So folks, when you are looking to manage the grief, find someone who's just willing to understand and take it at face value and just work from there. Let's go back to uh, rejoicing through unbearable sorrow. Uh, the mom who lost her six-year-old son, you know, fighting the depression. You know, that's what we're talking about here at this point. You know, stay focused and be patient. That's what her message is next. Stay focused. Your mind will go wherever you let it, so choose to fill it correctly. Train it to focus on the positives and the good, not because you are naive to the reality, but because it keeps you focused on that future hope for the whole world. Be patient. God has kept every single promise He has ever made, so why would He stop now? Everything He has promised to come true has, so now it is my turn to wait on Him, so in His due season, these things will come to pass. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. So, you know, she, she quotes that scripture, and, and I want to I finish it. So, Jonathan, let's do Romans 12, 12, but let's do verse 13 as well. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. See, because, my, because God is my God, I have good reason to choose to refocus my thoughts higher. And Becca, that's what you've been saying throughout this whole podcast is you made a choice to let faith dominate. Now, it's, right. not, it's not perfect. Right. Sometimes it loses its, its, its place, mm-hmm. but you go and find it again. Right. So, so when you go to find it again, what, what's, the, what's the process for trying to, to sort of reestablish faith as the front of your experience for you? Uh, I think first and foremost, going to God in prayer, because I think you need you need to have that conversation and be able to reestablish that connection. It's like any relationship in your life that you have to be able to talk to that other person to be able to reestablish, okay, where are we going from here? And then and then seeking out and looking for those uh, faith strengthening things in in your life. All right, so you go to God in prayer. So you, 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 you lay your heart out, and then you do something about it. That's right. what I'm hearing here. You, yes. You, you act on it. You look for those faith-strengthening aspects of your life. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to Hebrews 12, 11 to 13, because that fits very well with that comment. It does, Rick. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. See, because God is my God, I know there is an afterwards. And, and, and Becca, that's exactly what you just said. So we've got to believe in the afterwards and act. And, and Jonathan, just change gears for a moment. A really, really important quote from a gentleman, and I think he is a trainer of, of um, decathletes or something. This guy's name is Rich Roll. You have to realize that mood follows action. Take the action despite how you feel. Take the action anyway. And oftentimes we think that action follows mood. But what he's saying is, yeah, that may be true, but mood can also follow action. Becca, have you had to do that? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> sometimes you, you just force yourself to get up and put your pants on and keep on keeping on because you don't. You might not want to in the moment, but you know afterwards you always feel. It's like, you know, working out. Like, I never really want to work out, but I know that after I do it, I'll, I'll feel better. And, and so when you push yourself to do those things and get into that pattern, it will just start to, 
you'll want to to do it eventually. It'll push you to want to do better. All right. So so what we're seeing is is putting the fight against depression into place. And really, there, there's two main keys here. There is prayer, which is really being vulnerable before God. Look, he knows your situation anyway. So why don't you just tell him? Right. And, and then doing something about it. And like you said, Becca, in, in spite of how you feel, do something about it. That's how we fight depression. And depression is, is one of those things that just doesn't go away because you decide it's time for it to go away. Right. You've got to grow through it. So let's go back to another soundbite from Rejoicing Through Unbearable Sorrow, uh, the story about the woman who lost her six-year-old. And now we're, we're seeing the, the culmination of her experience, the, the putting it into perspective and now saying, okay, I can begin to learn to accept this and do something very specific about it. So let's listen to what that specific thing is. Be a light unto others, pay it forward. In 2011, Chase's Elementary School took on the task of spreading the idea within the community that it only takes one person to make a difference. They taught their students the concept of paying it forward and handed out pay it forward cards to each student, asking them to think about ways to use them. To perform a random act of kindness, a willingness to give your time, energy, or talent without expecting anything in return. Chase was only six years old when he came home with his card and he was constantly thinking of ways he could make a difference. Whether it was shoveling the neighbor's driveway in the winter or opening doors for others, Chase's heart was so full of love and goodness to share. The lesson our family learned from Chase's assignment is that no matter how young or old, rich or poor, everyone has something to give. When he passed away, we handed out these cards to all the people who attended his funeral and still do to this day as a reminder of who Chase really was, a loving little boy with so much to offer. Every time I pay it forward, I not only think of our little boy, but it is a chance to brighten someone else's day and let our light shine. You, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalms chapter 18, verse 28. And, you know, as, as you look at that and you listen to that concept, the pay it forward concept is such a powerful thing. And again, because God is my God, I am privileged to see with his light through my darkness. And Becca, before I ask for your comment, I just want to make a, a statement, and it's an observation um, about your experience. And I know you're still in the middle of it. And I know it's still just incredibly weighty. And it's you, you still go through the, the different phases. And, and I understand that. But to me, as I look at you and your experience along with your husband, your infertility has led to the birth of hope and service in so many ways. You have, by putting your experience out for others to hear and to, to, to identify with, just spread hope. And you've given birth to that in a, in a very special way by being vulnerable about something that is so, so very painful. And as you've mentioned so many times, it's led to your ability to serve and I got to tell you, it's been a blessing to me personally because your involvement in what we do here has been instrumental in our being, our being able to keep preaching the gospel. So that's a lot for you to digest, but any thoughts? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think about it like, you know, I, I wasn't raised as a Christian. And so 
I feel that the opportunity that God provided to me in following his son and in, in choosing to make my life in service of God, I want, I want to be able to give that to someone else because it has changed my entire life. It has changed my purpose and it has made my life full. And so if coming and talking about my experiences can help somebody else, that, that would be one of the greatest blessings of my life. Consider it done. <laughs> Consider it done. <laughs> Jonathan, uh, scripture, Psalm 121, verses 1 to 3. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. So you have a powerful promise like that. Let's go now to the conclusion of the story of rejoicing through unbearable sorrow. We will never forget Chase and the wonderful life we had with him. I'm thankful for everything he has taught us while on earth and even after he has left. Without him, we would not be who we have become. This experience has strengthened our marriage, made me a better mother, sister, daughter, and friend. And because of this, I am so very thankful. In 2014, our family welcomed another baby boy, Koi. Koi has renewed our strength and brought more joy and laughter into our lives. Truly, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Psalms chapter 46, verses 1 and 2. To God be the glory. May he continue to use me and my life as a testimony to others. And so for that experience, uh, you, you know, there was a, you know, you, you've got a happy ending. But, you know, with your experience, Becca, you're still in the middle. But I, I tell you, I see, I see, I see the happy ending. I see, actually, no, let me, let me rephrase it. I see the happy beginning is what I see. So we, we need to wrap up really quickly here. Any final thoughts, Becca, as we begin to wrap this up? And if the music starts, don't worry. Just finish your thought. I, I, the only thing that came to mind while uh, listening to that commentary was, you know, my mother dying was one of the hardest experiences of my life. But it, if she hadn't died, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I wouldn't know God. And that is the thing that I try to remember, that even those really difficult experiences are sometimes the most important in shaping who we're to become. Becca, thanks so much for being with us. This has been an incredible experience of looking at grief right in the eye and saying, we see you, we want to understand you, we're going to deal with you, and we're going to overcome you and let you, grief, help us be better Christians and better human beings. Becca, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank Folks, you. listen, this is something that you have to take to heart and take with you wherever you go and whatever your circumstances are because you can find your way through grief. Faith in God, work at it, find support, and grow, and always, always have hope. For Jonathan, Rick, and Becca and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, find your way through. You'll be blessed and surprised. Think about it. And folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Let us know uh, your, your thoughts and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. And also, rate us on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel Rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about are God and evil meant to coexist? 
Talk to you next week.